If you have your copy of Scripture, I invite you to turn with me to uh, the book of Ruth. Uh, Ruth is a uh, small little book in the Old Testament, but uh, some powerful testimonies of uh, God's faithfulness through some really challenging times. And we're going to be spending the next few weeks in Ruth, uh, so the next three weeks following Sundays in Ruth. And so I want to challenge you, if you haven't read Ruth for a while, or maybe ever, uh, take time to go home uh, tonight or through this week and uh, work your way through this great little book. Uh, great story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, some great characters um, th- who serve God through some difficult times, who trust Him and see His blessing even in times of trials. And we're going to work our way through uh, Ruth chapter 1 today, and so leave your copy of the Scripture open, and so we'll, uh, we'll flip back to a few different passages uh, in a few moments. But um, have you ever had a time in your life, this is honesty time, have you ever had a time in your life where you thought you knew the better way than God did? Have you ever decided that? Do you think God kind of says, here's how we should do, and you go, Eh, you know, that sounds all right, but this sounds much better. Or maybe you go, well, I know some people who aren't doing that, or I know some people who aren't living that way, and, and they seem fine. Their life seems fine, and so I think I'm just going to go their way and, and follow that way. That seems to be the way there's more blessing. That seems to be the way things seem to work out for you. Sometimes we do it even as churches. We may go, well, you know what? Certain churches do things differently than we do, and it seems like there's tons of people there, so maybe we should go that way, because that way it seems like there's so much more blessing. And God asks us to be faithful to Him, to follow Him, to serve Him wherever He puts us. Now, I have one of those sort of experiences in the, the mid-90s. I was going to um, a university in America. Uh, I was going to a, a private Christian college uh, was studying music and uh, later theology. And I thought I had it all worked out. I thought I, I knew what serving God was meant to look like. Because I had many of my friends at uni were serving in different ways, and it just seems like everything was falling into place for them. And so I just thought, if I just do what they do, if I just say the things that they say, then there'll be blessing and, and God's uh, grace will just fall and everything will be perfect. And now I was serving in a local church at the time, was, uh, was preaching every Sunday. I, tra- I traveled um, often in a, um, a, uh, a singing uh, group and we, we would travel every kind of Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, uh, singing in different states around. And, and it seems like things were going really well until I got in it. I stepped in and thought I knew better than God. You see, I was serving these ways, and I was having a blast, and I thought things were fine, but I wasn't getting any credit for it. Now, have you ever served God and you don't get any credit for it? What fun is there in that? Right? Every once in a while, we want a pat on the back, don't we? Our nature comes in, and we just go, hold on. These people aren't even doing as much for God as I am. And everybody loves them. They're up there on the stage and everyone listens and everyone loves them. It just seems like their life is full of blessing. And so if I just go and do what they do, 
then I'll have that too. And I can not only serve God, which is all a good thing, right? But I'll get a pat on the back for it. I'll get the applause. And I found myself at a time where I wasn't trusting God's way. I was trying to follow my own. And so everyone, every summer, did summer missions. Every one of my friends I knew of went on these summer mission trips. When you go out and you're the missionary in, in a different state or a different area, uh, serving that way, and I thought, if I just do that as well, I'll come back with these great stories of, of God's rich blessing, and everybody will want to hear it, and it'll all be about what I've done for God, and everybody will be happy with it. So I moved uh, about five hours away. There was a need in a place called Cave City, Kentucky, uh, which is where Mammoth Cave is, and I served in a place called the Diamond Caverns Resort. Sounds nice, doesn't it? And uh, I thought, well, that, that sounds pretty, pretty flash. I'll be fine. I went there and I was going to be the resort minister uh, for about 10 weeks over the summer. And when I went there, I, I geared up for my first Sunday morning and I've been around. It was kind of a, a caravan park sort of uh, resort. Went around all the caravans and I'm inviting everybody to church and had some great conversations along the way. And I rock up there on the Sunday morning and I was probably about an hour early and I was so excited just to ready for you know, all the crowds to kind of come in. And hear the great message that God had laid on my heart. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited. And they only had this tiny little chapel on the, uh, on the property there. Beautiful little old building. And I'm waiting here in this building, and nobody turned up. Nobody. It was just me. And then I finally waited around for a little bit, and then I asked around, and someone said, Oh, nobody uses that old chapel anymore. We use this multi-purpose building. I'm thinking, Oh, multi-purpose building. That sounds more... Uh, you know, that sounds like we're going to have a big group. So I went in this multi-purpose building, and there were two people sitting up front. And they said, oh, are you the preacher this week? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm the preacher. And I realized that uh, serving God in this new place, in this new way, you know, I was preaching a message I felt God laid in my heart. Um, it wasn't going to be about any sort of flash crowd or uh, applause in any way. It had to be about Him. It had to be about following him. And, and I had to begin that time of worship with an apology and with a, asking God to forgive me and to clear my heart and so that I would follow him and not me. And I shared the word and we sang some songs and we had a great worship time. And I ended up having 10 great weeks of, of ministry there and loving it. But when I went back, well, I came back, I guess, to, to uni and uh, to the church, uh, I never shared that story when there was opportunity to, to share all that God had been doing through you for those weeks because I never again wanted anything to be about me. I didn't want my pride to get in. I wanted to be about, about God and about following Him. Well, Ruth takes us to a place where we sometimes don't want to go because it's a place where everything's not easy. And they've given up on trusting God and decided to try it their own way. And we see that sometimes, in fact often it seems, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Look with me in Ruth, Ruth chapter 1, just verses 1 to 5. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And so a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, 
and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his sons, his two sons, were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They grew and they married Moabite women. One was named Orpah and the other named Ruth. After they lived there for about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and without her husband. Now let me just take a moment to, uh, to share a little bit about the setting that's happening, uh, the story is taking place in. It says that this is part of uh, the Hebrew story, part of the nation of Israel's history in which they were living in the time of Judges. Now, they had some great kings in Israel. They had, uh, you know, David was probably their most famous king. And uh, in a time of great success and great triumph in Israel. But this is before they ever had a king. They were living in a time of Judges. And what this time of Judges, what happened was, God said, look, I will look after you, and I will always bring you times of blessing as long as you are faithful to me. And the people said, oh, it sounds like a pretty good deal. Only they were never faithful to him. They kept going and doing their own thing, doing their own way, getting their life in a mess, and were often overtaken by enemies, by area uh, enemies and armies. And so God would appoint a judge to come out who was a mighty military leader who would conquer all of these enemies, these foreign enemies. When, when, when the people would call out to God, he would send these judges, they would conquer these foreign lands and raise the people of Israel back up to a time of blessing and a time of peace. And God would say, here, all you have to do is keep following me and you can have this blessing. And yet they would be unfaithful to him. They would get stuck again and in a mess again. And he would have to send another judge. There are a lot of famous judges in these early Old Testament things like Gideon and Samson and Deborah. Ones that God called out to be triumphant in battle to lead the people of Israel back to a time of peace and blessing so that they might follow him. This happened in this, this story is taking place in that time, which was a 400 year time of trials and being overtaken by enemies. Short times of blessing followed by immense times of suffering and trials. It was not a pleasant time to be living in the time, uh, the people of, with the people of Israel. It was before there were any king, before there was that leader. They were simply relying on these judges to come and to conquer the enemy so that they could have blessing. But then they would go back to being unfaithful to God and they would all fall. So they were living in a place called Bethlehem, which we know the story of Bethlehem from the New Testament and where Jesus was born, but this Bethlehem actually means a house of bread, a place of blessing. And it was God's place for them to, to live at, a place that was, had fertile soil and was great for uh, the agricultural. And if the people trusted him, he said, I will always provide for you. But here this story begins by saying, this is in the time of Judges when there was a great famine in the area of, of Judah and Bethlehem, which simply meant this is a time in which the people were unfaithful to God. They weren't experiencing that blessing. They weren't experiencing that, that joy and that peace. They were experiencing some difficulty. And Elimelech decides that, I mean, God says, hey, just be faithful to me, and I'm going to bless you here in Bethlehem. But he says, you know what? Things are looking a whole lot better over in Moab. And so I'm going to take my two sons, my wife and my two sons, and I'm going to go over there for a while. And we're going to experience 
the, the food again, we're going to experience the blessing. And then when things calm down and they're back to normal in Bethlehem, we'll come back. He thought, we'll just be gone for a little while. A sojourn, as I say, a, a short trip till things are fine. Interesting, Elimelech's name actually means God is king. And yet here, he wasn't following God as king. He wasn't trusting in God's blessing. He decided to go his own way. But what Elimelech thought would be a short trip over until things were okay ended up where he would never leave Moab. He would never leave this land of, of what was considered a land of unclean people. They weren't people who followed God. They had their own gods and their own ways. He thought it would be fine. But instead he died in Moab. And Naomi went on to raise her two sons. Now, this is significant in that women didn't just typically take on the, the family and, and raise uh, these sons, especially who were getting toward adulthood. But yet, she, in, in their, their Hebrew tradition, unlike today, and we're so thankful for uh, all of the, uh, the equal rights and all that we have for, for women and how we've, we've raised, um, raised the status of women in today's culture, and it's a wonderful thing. But in the Hebrew tradition in which this story is written, the women had no rights. It was the men who had all the property. It was the men who possessed the wives and the children. And so when the husband died, often the husband's brother would take on his wife and family because it had to be a man who was in charge of the household. But here is Naomi in this foreign land. She was away from all of their family. She was away as uh, Elimelech had led them into Moab, into a place that God had not blessed. And she was forced to raise these two sons on her own. And she raised them uh, as they, they grew. They married these two women. They mo- married Moabite women and then lived for, for about 10 years before each of them passed away. Now again, this is significant because it says that each of them grew up and married Moabite women. Now you say, well, that just makes sense because they're in Moab, so they marry Moabite women. But again, this was against God's rules. God had laid down rules for the people of, of Israel that they did not marry um, other uh, people of other religions, but that they only uh, connected with those who served the one God. Now you may go, that sounds crazy. It sounds chaotic, but that was God's rules for the people of Israel, and He would continue to bless them. He would provide all that they need if they follow Him and worship Him as the one true God. They don't follow into the lines of other gods and other people. And it started with Elimelech, who seemed to forget that God was king and God was the leader and went on his own trek to find his own blessing. And he passed away, and then Naomi kept on raising these sons, and then they moved even further away from God. They're living in a land which was not honoring to God and then marrying uh, women who didn't know God as well. And then both these sons, Malon and Kilion, die as well. And now there are three widows Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. Now, just to understand, to be a childless widow in that culture was just the lowest place, the lowest of the low in their society. Now, they didn't have any sort of sin link. There were no benefits that the people could go to that Naomi and Ruth and Orpah could go to. There were no family that they had in Moab. And so, these three ladies 
would have been destitute and lonely and begging just for the scraps left by the mercy of strangers. And so what to Elimelech had seemed like the grass was greener in, in Moab, I think there's that old saying that the grass may look greener on the other side, but it still needs to be mowed. That there's still difficulty wherever we are. There's still challenges. And they went to where it seems like there was blessing, and then Elimelech dies. And then she loses her two sons as well. And she's left with the widows, her two sons' wives. And yet, there is, there is still hope. Hope in God even in these times of, uh, these destitute times. And we see this in, in, in the next part in, in Ruth. Because Ruth hears that God has once again restored blessing to Judah, to Bethlehem. Word had come to her in Moab that, hey, guess what? The time is, is come for you to return back to God and return back to Bethlehem. They're, the people are following God again. And it's a time of blessing. And immediately, immediately she gets up with, uh, with Orpah and with Ruth. And she starts to head on the, the road back to, to Judah. It says in, uh, in verse 8, Then Naomi said to her, daughters, her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant to each of you that you will find rest in the home of another husband. So she says, look, I'm going back to Bethlehem because I will be cared for by my family there. Again, the women didn't have the rights, but one of her uncles or um, someone else may take her in and care for her. But she had no family in Moab. There was no hope there, but there was hope if she returned back to the land where God had blessed and called her from. And so she says to these ladies, look, Go back. Go back to your families. Maybe someone will take you in. And you're young enough. Maybe you'll find another husband that will care for you and provide for you. Well, in the following verses, Orpah decides, yep, she's going to go back and be with her family. But R- Ruth refuses to, uh, refuses to go away. And uh, in, in verse 16, it says this. In verse 16, it says, But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you. Or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. And then when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And so these two women headed out to Bethlehem. A difficult journey, to say the least. A difficult land. Uh, in fact, they say it's almost uphill all of the way. I don't know if you always, always heard these stories growing up. How my dad had to walk. Um, he walked to school. And it was always uphill both ways. And you think, well, how does that work? Um, it's always a time of suffering. But when I grew up in those hills in Kentucky, I think it is uphill both ways. You, kinda, you may down for a bit, but then you're back up again. Uh, difficult walking. Well, the, the trip from, uh, from Moab to Bethlehem was a difficult one. A time of, 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 again, suffering and challenging, but yet 
They trusted. Naomi trusted that if they could just get there, God would look after them. This is a time of blessing. If they just returned uh, to the Lord, there would still be hope. And I love this because this passage in, in uh, Ruth 1 ends with a time of blessing in that they get back to Jerusalem, they get uh, to Bethlehem, they get back to Judah, to Bethlehem, and they get back to experiencing a time of, of blessing and hope. And all the people are thrilled to see them. And yet Naomi still recognizes the difficulty of the journey. She still recognizes the suffering that she's had to go through. Look, look with me in uh, verse 20 to 21. It says, sorry, all the people are running up and they're saying, Naomi, Naomi. And she says in verse 20, don't call me Naomi, she said. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Lord has brought misfortune upon me. And so Naomi returned to Moab. Uh, sorry, returned, returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Isn't this interesting? She comes back. She's suffering. She suffered the death of her husband. She suffered the death of her two sons. She's trying her best to survive. Then she hears, hey, there's, there's food. There's blessing back in Bethlehem. God, we're following God again. We're being faithful to Him. And so He is richly blessing. Go back there. Come home and you'll be cared for. And she returns. And the ladies run out to, to see her and say, oh, Naomi, Naomi, like we've missed you. This is a beautiful picture, isn't it? just how you expected some of you want that when you come home today you want uh, or when you come home from the shops or whatever you want your husband or your wife or your kids to run up and go wow you're back we've missed you isn't that a great feeling i know i experience sometimes i'm coming home from work and you're tired and you want to, and you run out and the kids are running down the steps going dad dad you're here sometimes you're like oh yeah because they, they just attack with, 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 with cuddles and they want to play this and they want to play that. But it, it's great to be loved, isn't it? And when Naomi returns this place, this place of blessing again, the place is following God, they run out and they say, Naomi, Naomi. And she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Isn't that interesting? Because Naomi actually means sweet or pleasant. And the name Mara means bitter. And it's interesting, they run out and say, Naomi, Naomi, and she goes, you can't call me sweet or, or, or blessed or pleasant again. Call me bitter. Because the Lord has treated me harshly. Now, I find this interesting. She changes her name to bitter because she said, the Lord has taken all this away from me. The Lord has caused me to suffer. There's a couple of reasons why I think this is significant and why I think it's interesting. One is, yes, there's been immense suffering and there's been immense trials and it recognizes that although she's followed God back, she's come back to God and she's trying to follow in His ways, life has not been easy for her and there's been difficulty and there's been challenge and there's been trial. And so she's following God and she's being faithful back in Bethlehem, but she says, you, you can't call me sweet anymore. You have to call me bitter because I've suffered. But the other reason I think this is significant for us today and, 
and even an interesting part of the story is this is so often us as a church in that God says, if you just stay faithful to me, I'll give you such blessing. If you do what I say, I will take care of you. I'll provide for you. And so often we just go, yeah, that sounds good, God. But the grass is greener over here and things are better over here. And so we go do our own thing and we follow in our own ways or we follow others who are going the wrong way. And there is suffering and there's difficulty. And God brings us back to a place of blessing and triumph. And we're back and we're serving in a time of blessing, but we're not happy about it, are we? And we, we seem to, to whinge and to complain about all of the difficulties that we've been through, about how life is for us, about how we want an easier road. And so we say, God, I'm going to sing your praises, but I'm not going to be happy about it because you've taken things away from me and, and you've caused me to go down a road that I didn't want to go. This is important because life is full of roads that we don't want to go down. That God calls us at times to walk through and, and to trust Him. Sometimes our own unfaithfulness, our own moving away from God and going our own ways causes challenges and trials for us. Causes difficulty that we must take and bear. And God uses to grow us and to mature us into who He wants us to be. Sometimes God wants to bless through you in ways that you can't even see right now. And in order for that to happen, you have to go through some suffering and some difficulty. Maybe you're to help others on the other side. We don't know. But I pray that if, if you are in a time of, you've experienced such challenges and difficulty and sadness and sorrow, that you don't allow it to become, you don't allow it to change you from sweet to bitter. But that you recognize that God is good not only in those times of blessing, but in times of sorrow and sickness and challenge. God is still on His throne and He's still powerful. And we can trust Him even when things aren't going our way. Whether there are a thousand people in the church or whether there are two, God is to be praised and He's to be honored and to be glorified. God is strong and God will bless and see us through as we're faithful to Him. Too many times we hear messages from preachers who should know better that say if you, just try, if you just follow God, just be faithful to Him. Everything will work out for you all the time. Everything will be wonderful. You'll have all the money you need. Your life will be filled with riches and, and pleasure and, and peace. Don't we all want peace? But life, according to the Scriptures, is full of challenges. It's full of difficulty. And we have to know that God is still God and we have to trust Him even when things aren't going our way. Sometimes we sing songs here in church without even listening to the words, without even a thought. We're just so accustomed to singing praises that we sing them without praising. Seems interesting, isn't it? And we've all experienced it. I know I've sat at, at churches, I've mentioned before, the old hymn, Amazing Grace, and how growing up we always called it the Baptist National Anthem because everyone sang it. It seems like almost every Sunday we're singing Amazing Grace. But we sing it so often, and what a great hymn that is. What great words that is. But we sing it so often that so often people weren't even really singing it. They weren't taking it in. They weren't taking it in the message. And we've all said at churches, 
Or you think, wow, we're singing about the amazing grace of God and how He has blessed us and saved us. Wow, we've always seen that with excitement, right? No. We've all seen churches where you look around and everyone's going, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Boy, really joyful, isn't it? And we've all experienced that. And I've seen, I've seen music directors just going, come on, like trying to get people going. And, and even if they're singing at a, a better tempo, their face isn't showing it. They're just going, I ain't feeling it, God, because I'm feeling a time of suffering or I'm not getting my way right now. And things aren't going the way I want at church or things aren't going the way I want at work or things aren't working the way I want them in our family. So how can I be singing about grace? How can I be singing about peace? And I'll tell you how you can. Because even in those challenges, God is faithful. Even in those difficulty times, that, that's actually the time that God proves His faithfulness. He proves His grace. He proves His peace. When the world is chaotic, when the world is crazy, God is peace. God is strength. God is faithful. When the world turns its back, when the family have gone, God is faithful and true to see us through. And I want to challenge us, as I think this message in Ruth challenges us to trust God, not just when things are going great, this is a great time of suffering, a time of immense struggle for Naomi and Ruth and Orpah. A time of struggle for the whole nation of Israel when they've been unfaithful to God, then finally returned to God and there's blessing. And then comes bitter. Bitter Naomi, she's changed her name to Mara, bitter. She says, you can't call me sweet anymore because God has treated me harshly. I pray I pray that when we are going through times in which we're not comfortable with the way things are going in our church, we're not comfortable with the way things are working out in our family right now, we're not happy with the way things are going with work, that we'll keep on trusting God, we'll keep on being faithful, because He has promised, and He's always true to His promises, that He'll look after us and He'll care for us as we're faithful to Him. Not that things will always be easy for us, but that God will always be with us. Let us just pray. God, I thank you and I praise you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your love and your strength. God, I thank you that we can trust you even when things aren't working out our way. When we go off seeking our way rather than yours and we make a mess of things, you are forever faithful. And you just call us home. You call us to allow us just to let you love us again. You pick us back up and you put us back on the right path. God, help us to not just trust you when everything's smooth. Help us to trust you, even in the challenges, even to the death, even to the sadness, even to the brokenness of life. You are a God. May we trust you. That you be praised in all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.